What is up, everyone? This is Dr. Josh Harper, and I am joined again by the lovely Megan Doherty. Hello. And we are looking at this magazine. What magazine is this? It is the ASHA Leader. It's ASHA Leader. What yeah. does that stand for? The American Speech and Language Hearing Association. Um, they're the ones who give us our, basically our licensure. Our, they okay. call it our C's, our clinical, our certificate of clinical competence. Okay. So what, there's an article in here, this is a good article, about autism and the prevalence and how it's increasing. So what is it, 10% increase mm-hmm. since from what year to what year? From 2016 to, from 2014 to 2016. So two years it was 10% increase. Yeah, so it went from one, an estimate of one in 59 children to one in 54. So guys, this is, a, this is an epidemic. This is uh, getting worse and worse every freaking year. Worse and worse. Um, and I just missed the turn. So I'm going to turn around. Okay. Um, you want to read some of the notable points here? I'll let you just kind of go. Yeah, I haven't um, yeah, really finished reading it. Thing. So. Just read the whole thing. We'll save you guys the time of trying to find this magazine and then read it. Megan's going to read it to us because she has a lovely voice and she's very articulate. Go ahead, Megan. The number of children with autism spectrum disorder in 2016 rose to 1 in 54, a 10% increase over the 2014 estimate of 1 in 59, according to a recent report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Boys continue to be 4.3 times as likely as girls to have the diagnosis. Data from 2016 collected on 8-year-olds in 11 states through the CDC's Autism and Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network also show for the first time in nearly a nearly identical ASD prevalence among children who are black and white. ASD, Autism Autism Spectrum Spectrum Disorder. Yep. The data support researchers' belief that previously seen differences reflected a bias against non-white groups rather than a true difference in prevalence. ASD prevalence in Hispanic children, however, still lags behind other groups. The report also includes the cumulative incidence of ASD in the sample population. That is, the proportion of all children with ASD who are diagnosed by a certain age. Nationally, the cumulative incidence is 13.2 per 1,000 children at age 8. For 4-year-olds, that figure is 10.2 times higher than the 8.3 cumulative incidence for 4-year-olds in 2012. The change indicates clinicians are diagnosing ASD at younger ages, researchers say. Prevalence in both age groups varies widely among states. Among four-year-olds, for example, Missouri reports 8.8 per 1,000 children, but New Jersey reports reports 25.3 for children 8 and under. The figure ranges from 13.1 in Colorado to 31.4 in New Jersey. The disparity may be due to differences in diagnostic practices and the availability of services, researchers say, but it could also reflect true variability from an environmental cause. So can you summarize that? (laughs) (laughs) So Um, essentially, so hold on. So what, what are we, so what is our thought process with like the uh, race or the cultural numbers versus you know Caucasians does it say anything specific about that and what has been your experience with that um I mean the school that I worked in was predominantly um 
white children. So I think that my own experience is probably a little bit skewed in terms of that. It's saying that for the first time, there's really no, uh, no difference in the prevalence between children who are black and children who are white. So, so color is of a non-issue at this point, as far as diagnosis, is that what we're getting at? Mm-hmm. But they said that Hispanic children are still lagging behind other groups. So basically, um, not as many Hispanic children are identified as having ASD. But the reality is, I mean, a brain is a brain, right? We're, we're, there's obviously something else going on. Obviously, environmental, I think, has to do as a big factor with things right now. I think a lot of people think as well, like what with vaccinations, uh, anything that stresses the nervous system. So I guess my question for you would be, why do you think there's, I mean, a 10% increase between two years of data reporting seems incredibly high well i think i think it is i think it's uh multifactorial i think i think it's definitely which is why they always mention this but are we getting better at diagnosing it are we more aware are we more educated you know as we as doctors and clinicians become more educated that it's easier to diagnose right so you know and then you got to look at too like what kinds of medications like let's like at big pharma what's going on with if you diagnose this, it's like ADD. Like I was put on Ritalin in first grade. Like that's a huge, the drug industry obviously makes a ton of money on this kind of stuff. Right? In my experience so, coming from the education side, I feel like um, at least pediatricians more recently, the good ones are, are much more hesitant to put younger children what on makes a good medications. One? What, makes a good pedi- what, what makes a good one? Just someone that's more informed? like Yeah, somebody that's not super quick to to just jump on the pharma train because that's well the problem is too i mean that's that's you know comparing even like my training my initial training with chiropractic uh versus you know a medical doctor it's like we get and have a lot more interest from the student population in things like nutrition and we get that obviously as a at a foundational level but then there's um i think there's a lot more though i mean i don't like to ever discredit or um you know make any other profession look as if they're not as if they don't care i think it just boils down to well what kind of training did you receive what kind of business are you ultimately what part of machine what business machine are you a part of you know it basically it's very difficult and of course there's a lot of mds that i think break away and that we notice this in california obviously in our area because it is a little bit more affluent over here it's a lot more affluent. And so you see a lot more educated people. And with more with a more educated population, you see, just like with parents, you are going to see that there's more, you know, uh, non-mainstream um, doctors or holistic doctors that do functional medicine, which is essentially looking at labs from a functional aspect, not just waiting for you to, like, turn into some, oh, this marker says you have, you know, you you, you fall in line with diabetes, so now we can give you this medication. So I think there's a, there's more of a holistic mindset uh, in general over here. Yeah, I think the other problem is, too, is that when sometimes it's not the physicians that are pushing for medications, it's the parents or yeah. the educators yeah. because they don't know what to do right. when their child has ADHD um, and is exhibiting severe symptoms that, you know, are impeding that child from making friendships or from participating in classroom activities yeah. or 
our, you know, kind of safety concerns. Um, And there's no alternative suggested. Right, right. You know, so I think that that's... Well, yeah, so the parents... People aren't as aware of the alternative solutions to the medications, so that maybe becomes something that they feel like they they need to make progress. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember growing up, I mean, I can't imagine, like, you know, what my mom and my dad had to go through. Mainly my mom... Uh, at the beginning, because it was mostly her, like, you know, doing everything, working full time, trying to take care of us. But, uh, like, with me, with ADD, I was very, I was a tough child to deal with. So, for her, it's like, well, what, she she didn't want to have to give me medication, I know that, but there was no answers. There were no other answers, no alternatives. Uh, There's, the the mindset was just, obviously, you go to your doctor, and this is, this is what they know, and this is what they give you because you're looking for a quick fix, and uh, you're going to deal with symptoms. That's basically the bottom line. When really autism, and as we'll kind of dive deeper and deeper into this, autism and ADHD, these are these these are brains that have not been fully developed. There, there's you look at primitive reflexes, which essentially are those reflexes that you're born with. You can see that. All these kids that we test have retained these primitive reflexes or some of these primitive reflexes. Just statistically, it's just so obvious. And so, and you know what's interesting about that is pediatric doctors um, and neurological um, pediatric doctors and just in general, are they, they are well aware of these reflexes. I mean, this has been yeah. in the literature for decades and they are very well well aware of these and they'll often look at these but they won't really have any type of therapy or thing they don't they don't they don't treat it right it's more of like the parents are like okay is this normal uh well no like you still have they still have this this reflex or whatever but they don't even usually check it after 12 months right because the last reflex babinski the one on the foot starts to go away that should be gone by 12 12 uh 12 months and then your kid's typically walking. But kids will, let's say, not walk until three years old. Yeah, I feel like it's more common for people to look at the, at least in my training, like look at the developmental milestones. Right. You know, are they walking on time? Are they talking on time? Are they toilet trained on time? Um, or within a specific window. But people are using those as indicators that, oh, something might be wrong, but not necessarily indicators that but it's like, let's maybe watch. there's... Let's just yeah, watch not, and see what happens. Like, yeah. is it because you think too, like from the parents that you also worked with, it's almost like you don't want to alarm. I think a lot of uh, pediatricians in general, like they, they might see those and they that, well, I know it's not normal according to what we're supposed to be seeing at this age, but they also don't want to like freak out the parents. Um, but you know, from a speech standpoint, you've got, for you, you had kids that were coming in and you might, I don't know if you had known about this or not, but if they weren't walking till like three years old, they're supposed to be walking at like a year. I mean, it should just be like that's when you're. That's when you are basically, you should be able to walk, mm-hmm. right? And if you and if you're not, your kid's not walking until three, and then they're supposed to be able to learn how to speak properly, right? And so they're going to be learning like they're going to come see you. And oh, my kid's not speaking yet, and they're like four years old, and they they just learn how to walk. Well, think about how the brain develops. It's from from the from the milestone standpoint, you have to have that motor system and movement system working logically. That needs to work, and then speech, which is uh, uh, another level of complexity. 
starts to come on board. So it's like if we can catch these reflexes the first year, we can get them integrated, and that is the best time to do it. And so now we have adults too that we even check with post, you know, post concussion. You'll see it a lot. Um, but yeah, adults will have these reflexes, and it's like, man, I wonder if you just you just must have had these that they never got integrated when you were younger. And then it's much more difficult. You can get them integrated, but it's just, it's a little bit tougher than if we can catch them like when they're really young. Mm-hmm. And then, if, and then obviously, as we know from our most current type of training with like the Melillo method, Dr. Melillo and Dr. Uh, Daigle and uh, Dr. Crawford, we're using all these different methods now that help these reflexes integrate a lot faster um, and a lot of these kids are going from nonverbal now to verbal. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive stuff. Pretty cool. What do you think about that? Pretty cool. What was your, what was your, um, did you recognize that? Did you recognize that kids were like, maybe their coordination, their balance, their, their, their gait, the way they walk, was it kind of, is it, you noticed that there, it was more difficult and they're having problems with speech and stuff like that or? Um, well, in my, the first population of kids that I worked with, yeah, yeah, I mean, most of those kids were getting kind of the gambit of therapy because there were, it was, you know, like a multifactorial problem. There were, you know, issues with walking and speech and feeding and fine motor skills and kind of the whole spectrum just because they either had, you know, a global brain injury or so they're seeing like uh, occupational therapists usually physical therapists. yeah well in my first job i mean every pretty much every child on my caseload had pt um ot or physical therapy occupational therapy right. speech therapy music therapy um some type of vision specialist you know what's crazy about this though the none of these practitioners typically look for they might look for the primitive reflexes, like an occupational therapist, for instance. They they could be checking these, but by and large, like most uh, uh, um, clinicians, they just they don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. Okay, I have this reflex, just like a pediatrician. Like, okay, well, uh, well, you got this reflex, so this is diagnostic. Uh, this or you know, it's like, but what do you do with it? This is what parents need to understand and know that you can actually. You can actually stimulate the nervous system and the brain and the sensory system and motor to integrate these reflexes. And that is so important for people and parents especially to learn because it doesn't take a doctor to do this stuff either. Like you can be a, a, a regular parent and be able to do this stuff with a certain level of intensity and you can get these reflexes integrated. And by integrating these reflexes, now the brain is building from the ground up how it's supposed to. So that way, this higher level cognitive aspects of um, brain tasks like language, mm-hmm. which is a higher level, right? Like this, that's a higher level task. Like now that can work better. Now that's going to come online. Because how many times have you worked trying to work speech and language with kids that aren't even able to walk? And it's obviously a lot more difficult. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're definitely kids who make slower progress and it's more frustrating as a clinician because you feel like you pull all these tricks out of your bag and they're not, um, they're not making the progress that, that you want to see, that the parents want to see, that they want to see. Right. Um, I think sometimes the kids that slip through the cracks a little bit are the kids who are harder to identify. The more kind of subtle 
cases. Like a lot of children with dyslexia aren't identified. Now they have better kind of tools, but they're not really identified until they really start reading, which is in like first and second grade. And just, just to recap, um, just the way to think about this guys is think about, um, ADHD, ADD, autism, those are more of a right brain deficiency the way we look at that we look at the brain stem of course that's a huge part of it but then also as far as balancing the brain we always want to look at how how can we balance this brain so what we see clinically is we can actually provide therapies to let's say the left side of the body and do different things to stimulate you know the visual system with balance with uh, vibration with uh, lasers electrical all these different types of modalities things that will stimulate the right brain and we'll see instantaneous change we might even see an integrated reflex right away um but the other interesting aspect is we could then stimulate the left brain through let's say the right side of the body or the just different areas that would stimulate the left cortex and then we can actually get those reflexes to come back that should tell you right there that there's definitely a balance it's like a teeter-totter in the brain Mm -hmm. so you have to have brain you have to have a brain that's balanced and to be able to look at that and understand uh, what is which part is is not balanced here? And so for dyslexia is more of a left brain deficiency, and then like I said, ADHD autism is more of a right brain. Yeah. Well, what I didn't realize is that it kind of teeter totters throughout development too. That one Absolutely. hemisphere yeah. is, you know, basically <laughs> developing more. I like, during I like you guys hear Ella breathing. She's in the back. We're at the park. We gotta get into the park, and she's gonna she's gonna start chewing on her ears here in a second. Hi. I know. I know. Um, but yeah, anyway, guys, uh, let us know if you have any questions about this. We just thought this was interesting. Is there anything else related that you want to share with that? Or what is the article if they want to look it up? Is there, um, is there any, like, reference to, like, the research or anything like that or no? No, not here. Okay. I'll see if I can find something. We'll be bringing you guys some, uh, some more news and updates on this as they occur. But just know, uh, autism, ADD, ADHD, all this stuff is on the rise. I think it's multifactorial. I think we both think we understand. And I think you guys know as parents that sometimes it seems like it might be just one thing. Like, oh, as soon as my kid got this vaccination, we can't ignore that. You know what I mean? I know a lot of people like, it's not vaccinations, but it's like, we'll get, that's, 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 that's a whole nother post that we'll get into. That's a whole nother talk, but just know that the nervous system can only handle so much, especially at a young age. And so overwhelming the nervous system through things like vaccinations and antibiotics that throw off the gut uh, bacterias which have everything to do with neurotransmitters and brain function uh yeah just wonder there's just a lot of things that are going on our food industry is is terrible right gluten dairy all the things that are causing inflammation so and then of course genetics and predisposal all that stuff so again there's a lot to talk about we'll get into that uh but uh be strong have faith and uh, keep pressing. Let us know if you have any questions. Megan, do you have anything you want to say? She said no. <laughs> Ella's, Ella's, Ella's biting. Okay. We'll talk to you guys soon.